Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, July 14th, 2015. beginning to question my decisions here, thinking, how, how am I going to get all of this into hour number one? Yeah, something might have to give. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there by the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whose books we need to be buying and using their curriculum in our small group Bible studies, you know, things like that, to see if what they're actually saying squares with what God's Word says, to see if these people are teaching us the historic Orthodox Christian faith, sound biblical doctrine, rightly handling God's Word, or if they're being really innovative, very creative, and teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to be teaching. In other words, not telling us the truth. And over and again, we find by doing this little experiment, day in and day out, weekend and week in and week out here at Fighting for the Faith, that, yeah, most of the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, and folks like that, they... <laughs> They don't know how to rightly handle God's word, and this is not a good thing because Scripture is clear. God has spoken through the apostles, through the prophets, that he wants his word to be taught correctly. In fact, the job of a pastor is to preach what's in accord with sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Important things, but uh, unfortunately, we live in treacherous days. And uh, well, this is not this is to be expected. Jesus warned us that in the last days there would be false Christ, false prophets, false teachers performing all kinds of signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So the idea here at Fighting for the Faith, you need to listen with an open Bible. That's kind of a, one of the important things here. So let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And I'm already beginning to question my decisions here. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to start off with a, um, well, a video. I mean, do you need to receive a a, a personal prophetic word? You know, and and you know, would you like this personal prophetic word sent to you, you know, v- via email? 
Well, did you know that you can get an anointed prophetic message from Pastor Wayne Sutton? You know, for just a nominal fee, uh, he'll send you, you know, a personal prophetic word sent to you via email. And uh, and we're going to test to see if this, we're, we're going to take a look at this. Uh, this actually reminds me more of fortune telling than your biblical prophecy, if you know what I mean. Then we're going to be doing a Perry Stone update. Now, do you know the reason why the Apostle Peter walked on the water? Yeah, you know, if you really were to dig hard into, you know, the the Matthew text, which talks about Peter walking on the water, you're going to be hard-pressed to actually find the mental psychological reason given as to why Peter walked on the water, but Perry Stone, you know, the biblical scholar that he is, uh, he has uh, he has discovered the reason why Peter wanted to walk on the water. And, uh, well, <laughs> it's qu- quite selfish of Peter for, you know, his reasons for wanting to walk on the water. So we're going to take a listen to that. Somewhere in there we're going to take a break. And uh, then we have a brief Rob Bell update. Yeah, brief Rob Bell update. Apparently he's on tour. Uh, And uh, so we're going to be listening to his uh, latest commercial for his Everything is Spiritual tour. And if you know anything about Rob Bell, maybe you're a Rob Bell aficionado which probably wouldn't theologically be a good thing. Uh, You may remember that he has already done an Everything is Spiritual Tour. So think of this as kind of like, you know, Rob Bell reliving his glory days. And then we have the Joyce Meyer update that we didn't get to yesterday. And uh, I don't even know how to prepare you for it, but let me just put it this way. I hope you're sitting down. And then you know if you you know, if you remember this you know in fact I might mention this you you need to be sitting down for this teaching uh, it'll make sense, <laughs> sense why I said that and then in hour number two we're going to be heading to a church called the movement the movement and we're going to be listening to a, a gal by the name of Vanessa Hall uh, as she delivers a sermon entitled Love Renovation Love renovation. Yeah, a lot of women pe- uh, preachers out there nowadays. And uh, so yeah, we'll take a listen to another female pastrix type. And uh, that will round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do, you know, this. <laughs> at an English fair one evening I was there when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts there they are standing in a row big ones small ones some as big as your head give them a twist a flick of the wrist that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. That's right, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts, and uh, did you know that uh, now you can receive a personal prophetic message sent directly to you via email, via the prophet, uh, Wayne Sutton. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, here's uh, their uh, video infomercial to explain the details. Here we go. Are you looking for prophetic counsel and support? Then visit thesecondadam.com. Secondadam.com. Do you need prophetic counsel and support? You know, so far, I mean, here I am. Oh, man. You know, here I am in my late 40s, somewhere nearing 50, but not quite there. And I have managed to make it through my entire life to date without having any prophetic counsel from anyone claiming to be a living prophet. Now, I haven't been able to make it through a single day of my life, and I mean this literally, without the prophetic counsel provided in the written word of God. Yeah, the, the prophets and the apostles. And, uh, and so, you know, I get all kinds of prophetic counsel daily. And I, and I mean that, daily, as I dig into God's word. But as far as, you know, making a decision for, you know, whatever, down the line, you know, I haven't needed a living prophet, and I've made it fine so far, you know. But um, for those of you who can't seem to make it with, you know, just the written word of God, well, the good news is that uh, Pastor Prophet Wayne Sutton, well, he has a solution for you. Are you in emotional pain? Do you need words of support and encouragement? Um, If I needed words of support and encouragement, I wouldn't go to a perfect stranger Go to a friend, a member of my congregation, former pastor, people, uh, men who, you know, who I stay in contact with, who are still in the pastoral ministry, who, you know, pastor me right now. Um, So I wouldn't go to Wayne's son. I've never met the guy. Why would I want to go with him with my pain and my suffering? At thesecondadam.com, we offer prophetic words of counsel. Prophetic words of counsel, huh? By email. Get your anointed prophetic message of counsel from Pastor Wayne Sutton. The prophetic counselor will pray and then prophecy over the person's life or situation. Wouldn't that be prophesy? Yeah, never mind. (laughs) Record it in an MP3 file and email it back to the customer. Each personal email may include words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic insights, and possible prophetic assignments. Possible. You might even get a prophetic assignment from, you know, know, the pastor prophet Wayne Sutton. Your message is highly personalized, private, an incredibly powerful session to hear from the Lord. Uh Uh-huh. Why should I believe that Pastor Wayne Sutton is a real prophet? Just because he put this YouTube video together? Your concern will be prayed over by the SecondAdam.com team, and you will be personally emailed back your personal prophetic word of direction within three to seven days. My personal prophetic word of direction, huh? Many times within 48 hours. Within 48 hours, even. Wow. You don't have to suffer alone anymore. No, apparently there's somebody out there that's just, you know... An email away. How much does it cost? Plus, when you sign up for their prophetic word, you'll receive a free special report. How to unlock your destiny with prophetic counseling. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. A lot of focus on, you know, how to fulfill and find my destiny. Yeah. You know, if if God's word actually expected, you know, me to understand this, then God's word would teach it very clearly. Finally experience peace, comfort, wisdom, and clarity on difficult situations in your life. Visit thesecondadam.com today. Yeah, visit thesecondadam.com. And from their website, yeah, in order to get your prophetic, personal prophetic word of counsel from the pastor prophet, Wayne Sutton, 
you need to send in a donation of $37. Uh-huh. $37. Yeah. Well, in fact, let me read here from their website. Are you ready for an anointed prophetic word of counsel for your life? Do you need prophetic guidance for your situation today? We now offer prophetic, uh, a personal prophetic ministry, a personal anointed prophetic counseling session specifically for you by email. Yeah, um, all emails are totally confidential, and a donation of $37 is requested to support the ministry. Option two, would you like a prophetic word of direction and count and a 55-minute prophetic telephone counseling session? Yeah, with the prophetic counselor Wayne Sutton. Yeah, that'll cost you 127 bucks, $127 an hour to provide free prophetic counseling to um, people that uh, he's never met before. I see. Okay. Well, um, wait, there, there's, there's testimonies here on the, on the website. Let's play one of these testimonies to, uh, to see, you know, how these uh, personal prophetic emails have changed people's lives. That'll prove it's from God, right? Yeah. Here, here we go. My name is Alicia Cetera, and I just want to talk real quick about Wayne Sutton and, SecondAdam.com. I have to say that I'm very impressed with Wayne Sutton's uh, warm personality, his love for people. What about his theology and his doctrine? His sincere heart for God and doing the work of the kingdom. Sincere heart. Again, what about his theology? Um, Wayne has a wonderful gift in spiritual wisdom and insight and his accuracy. in the uh, prophetic area. Um, I've received a couple prophetic words from Wayne this past year. In fact, yeah, this sounds a lot more like fortune telling to me. I just got one this past week. Um, I've been praying for several days concerning music and the ministry of womanunleashed.com um, as far as the direction that I needed to go with it this coming year. And um, I actually had been discussing this with a friend of mine the night before I had gotten a call from Wayne. Yeah, did he just call you out of the blue, or did you have to send him the $37 first? So the next day I had gotten an unexpected call from Wayne when he told me that the Lord had uh, revealed to him some things, and I definitely knew that he was hearing from God because there was just no way Wayne could have known what I had been praying about or what I had been discussing the night before. So I definitely knew he was hearing from God because he could only know those things by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I see. Uh, again, and you know, there are false prophets who are capable of, you know, having insight like this, and they're not getting it from God the Holy Spirit. They're getting it from, well, the demonic regions. So the question is, what's his theology? Why should I believe this man's a prophet? The prophetic word uh, caused me to remember some things that I had forgotten that I needed to remember in order to make some of the decisions I needed to make to to, uh, go forward with some things in music and with uh, Woman Unleashed ministry. Woman Unleashed, that kind of sounds like a dubious thing. By the way, that's not just my opinion about uh, the idea that somebody can actually give a uh, legitimate prediction of something. And it not be from God. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 says this. 
Uh, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder he tells you comes to pass. That's right. He's accurate. And then if he says, well, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the idea here is is that just because somebody's accurate doesn't mean they're from God. The way you know they're from God, if the, in this particular case, is you're going to have to test their theology. You're going to have to scrutinize it heavily to see if the person is believing, teaching, confessing the historic Christian faith is biblically and doctrinally sound. And, you know, accuracy is no sign as to whether or not they're actually from the Lord. So what this woman is saying that, oh, well, everything he said was so accurate. It had a, there's only one way that could have where that could have come from. It could have only come from God. No, that's not true. Deuteronomy 13 makes that clear. So um, I'm just very grateful for Wayne and uh, for his willingness to go after the things of God and to put himself out there in the world. And to just do the work of the kingdom and touch lives and uh, bring glory to Yeshua, Jesus, our Lord and our King. So I just wanted to make this video real quick um, because I feel it's very important to encourage those who may be in need. If you're in need of a encouraging word or prophetic counsel, I would definitely... You're in need of spiritual fortune telling. Recommend Wayne and the second Adam.com. Um, Wayne is somebody who... I have to say, is a, a person of high character. Oh, I, I would agree. He's a character, all right. And um, he's truly a person who loves God and loves people. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, like I said, we're going to have to test his theology. But, see, if for this particular segment, you know, I think it's fascinating that he's basically willing to do, quote-unquote, prophecy, which in reality is more akin to fortune-telling. That's really what he's up to. And uh, we know nothing about his theology from what these people are saying. It's just that, you know, he invokes the name of God. You know, oh, he he claims to believe in Jesus and Yeshua. And his website, you know, has the secondadam.com, which is a reference to Jesus. But again, you know, I want to know more about this man's theology because I find it fascinating that we have a guy basically willing to, you know, sell personal prophecies for money, which, by the way, is uh, one of the signs of a false teacher. In fact, we'll hear more about that on tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith when we go through my next rambling session. But uh, keep this in mind, you know, tuck this away, um, we, that uh, one of the types of uh, false teacher in the church is those who, um, well, uh, prophesy for profit via, you know, it kind of in the type of Balaam, if you would. And we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith, so you need to stay tuned for that. Okay, moving along. Yeah, time for a Perry Stone update. To New York than it is by plane. Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. 
That's our, uh, like I said, Perry Stone update music. Now, do you know the reason, the real reason, the real reason why Peter was walking on the water or asked Jesus to get out of the boat so he can walk on the water? Well, you'd be surprised what the answer is to this. Although the biblical text doesn't say uh, Perry Stone has cracked the code and has figured out the exact reason why Peter was walking on the water. And apparently it's for very, very selfish reasons. Here's Perry Stone to explain. All three of you, let's try that again. We'll make sure your ears are open to hear this. Jesus is going to show up in the future in a manner you're not used to him showing up in. Mm. Mm. All right, here we go, here we go. Illustr- I got to go to the word to help help everyone know what I'm saying here, for, you know, to really get this. Disciples, six or seven of them were from Bethsaida. Peter had a fishing business in Capernaum. Magdala, Chorazim, are all back in that day were all on the coast, fishing villages. Those men were raised to fish and they knew you fish at night because the fish surface and get caught in the nets. You don't fish in the day because they go deep. That's why they're cleaning their nets in the day and they're fishing at night. I've toiled all night but caught nothing, Peter said. They also knew there were certain traditions about that lake. And one of the traditions, according to Mendel Noon, who wrote about this, of the Lake of Galilee in Jesus' day was, if you are fishing at night and you see an apparition of a person coming to you on top of the water, your boat is about to sink. It is the spirit of a dead fish. This was the belief. It was a spirit of a dead fisherman coming to warn you you're next. Now, this adds a whole different twist to the Peter walking on water story. Come on, I'm about to go there. All right. They're in the boat. It's dark out. May have been a moon, probably was a moon because they could see. They look up and in the distance is somebody in white walking on the water toward them. Now they're all looking at each other and they are terrified and they scream, it is a spirit. Because they know, can't nobody walk on water. So the only thing they could walk above the surface of the water to find the law of gravity would be a spirit being. Now, in reality, based on the tradition, they know the boat's going down. Peter decides he ain't going to be in a boat sinking. That's going to make sense to you. Hey, Lord! Now, this is hilarious. If it's you. What if it ain't? I thought about that later. I mean, it's not like, Lord, bid me come. Peter wasn't even sure it was him. It's hilarious. Hey, Lord, if you bid me come, what if it ain't him? And it's some demon saying, come. They're going to choke Peter and drown him in the lake. So the Lord says one word, come. Peter gets out of the boat. 
Look, the whole walking on water never made sense to me. I mean, why? What do you want to do? Go take it. Yeah, I walked on water one day with Jesus, man. It's the coolest thing that ever happened. Everybody else is in the boat. I was the guy that had faith. No, really. I'm saying, have you ever wondered, why do you want to do this? What's the reason? Just say he can walk on water? He can press everybody because he was full of pride? That's always bad. Oh, no. He figures if that's Jesus and he can walk on the stuff, I'll go out there and stand on it while the boat sinks. Uh-huh. So there's the real reason, and here's the problem. No biblical text says this at all. It does say that they were afraid. Yeah, this is true. Now, he's filled in a little bit of the historical data. And I'm not going to quibble with the historical data. The historical data does help fill in some of the missing pieces, if you would. And it's okay to use it, but he he's overstepped it. We don't know the reason why Peter wanted to walk on the water. And for him to basically say that, oh, the reason why Peter wanted to walk on the water is because all those other guys were going down and he was going to be, you know, and he was going to be saved. Yeah, that, if for lack of a better way of putting it, that's putting the worst construction on it altogether. And you can't use historical data in this manner. Nope, not at all. And so this is a, you know, this is a form of basically filling in, you know, some of the local uh, historical information that's missing to help understand a biblical text and then going way beyond what that, what that historical data gives us. Now, what that historical data does give us is, okay, why is the reason why they were so afraid that because Jesus was walking on the water? Well, Historical data tells us that the reason for that is local legend is, is if you saw an apparition walking above the water, that that was the ghost of a sailor who had lost his life on the Sea of Galilee. And he was coming. He was basically there to tell you you were next. That would explain their fear and their great fear at seeing Jesus walk on the water. But it doesn't then, you can't extrapolate from that and basically say, and therefore, we can now surmise that the reason why Peter wanted to walk on the water is because, you know, he was going to escape and all those other poor guys, <laughs> they were going down. Yeah, that doesn't actually follow. And you, you know, you've, you've overcooked your historical information, which, by the way, Perry Stone is known to do. It, quite a lot. In fact, he's quite he's made quite a co- uh, career doing that, you know, taking historical information and then going way, way, way beyond uh, what that data shows us. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a Rob Bell update and a Joyce Meyer update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Ravage and don't give a hoot. Bring up the 
Deep in the Australian wilderness, and also the typhoid infested waters of the Bongo River, Captain Worthington and his ragtag group of men have found themselves to be hopelessly lost. Surrounded by the vicious savages of the Hamuku tribe, and now the TP has run out. It's been 27 days without food, and Private Jenkins doesn't care. Oh, do shut up, Nigel! We don't need you narrating every little thing that goes on. It's bad enough already. We don't need you reminding everyone about it. Sorry. Now, gentlemen, the hour is dire. There's not much hope of us getting out of this predicament with our lives or sanity. What are we going to do, Captain? Well, we can do one of two things. We can either die in a blaze of glory, charging the Hibuku tribe in battle, or sit on the riverbank saying to ourselves, Oh, mommy, mommy, please make the bad people go away. I vote for the second one. Shut the noise, you pansy. Now, Captain, I have an idea that might just save our hides from the impending doom on the other side of the tree line. Well, out with it, man. Out with it. I happen to have... In my possession, a copy of Zondervan's latest book, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer. Well, that's excellent news. We have TP again. Woo-hoo. No, no, no. We're not using it for that. Then what exactly are we using it for? Uh, it says this. With this volume, you can command and control the very will of God with relative ease. Oh. Are you sure we can do that? Well, the, the book says we can. Is there any proof? Well, Stephen Furtick did write the introduction where he explains how it's changed his life. Well, um, how does it work? Simple. We can choose from any one of these prayers. Captain Worthington, uh, a book uh, approaching! Blasted! Perkins, get your act together and start reading from the book. It's our only chance. I don't know which one to read first. Uh, which ones do you have to choose from? Well, there's the uh, Scenting Prayer, the Circle Maker Prayer, the Prayer of Jabez. The, the Circle One. Let's go with that one. Okay, the book says to draw a circle around what you're praying for. Well, that's us. Quick, men, draw a circle in the dirt around us. Step two, begin to pray for whatever it is that you're in need of. I really want a Ferrari. A Ferrari. You nitwit, we need protection. Now pray, audaciously. Oh, Lord, we are not going to leave this circle until you rescue us from our enemies. Amen. Are you sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> Unless he can breathe without his head being attached to his neck. Oh, dear. Well, there goes our narrator. What are we going to do, sir? Well, the circle prayer didn't work, so let's try something else. Packins! Working on it, sir. I, I think I got it. <laughs> I, I don't believe it, sir. The Hubuku drive didn't have catapults. Jumping Jehoshaphat. This next prayer had better work, Perkins. This one will work. It's the uh, it's the Sun Sand Soap prayer. What good will that do? It's in the middle of the night. Doesn't matter what you think. This is sure to work. We just have to have audacious enough faith to ask God for the impossible. You heard the man. Get praying. I still want a Ferrari, a pet Raptor, no jets, Ooh, and better sex. You're just not getting this, are you? Captain, they, Cannons! Well, this is impossible. Oh my God! 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 Oh my God!
And that, children, is where I'll stop for tonight. Aw, uh, Mom, it was just getting good. Aw, uh, won't you please, please tell us more? I can't tell you anymore tonight. It's past your bedtime, and tomorrow is a school day. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that just because somebody claims to be a prophet doesn't mean that they are a prophet, or just because somebody claims to be giving you historical data that they're not capable of then reading the minds of the biblical characters. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, that is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. That's right, time for an emergent church update.
These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. That would be Rob Bell right over there playing the timpani drums. you haven't figured it out, this is their homage to uh, Strauss's also Sprock's Zarathustra. You'll notice that they're, they're letting the spirit lead them rather than being limited by the modernist definitions of musical notes. Let's listen as they build to a crescendo here. literally brings tears to my eyes every time I hear it. Oh, you know, somebody actually sent me a video uh, of uh, they were in their car listening to Fighting for the Faith and they had their Jack Russell Terrier in the passenger seat up in the front of the car and when the emergent postmodern philharmonic orchestra music came on, uh the poor pup <laughs> he started howling like oh like he was in pain and uh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Part of what we do here at Fighting for the Faith is animal abuse by playing that music. Okay, so uh, Rob Bell, he's currently on tour. You know, the rock star that he is in the spiritual world of emergent postmodern theology. Um, it, it's it's kind of like, um, you know, well, how does it go? The Blues Brothers. We're, we're getting the band back together. And so he's on a mission from God to let everybody know that everything is spiritual. Here's Rob Bell to... Give us the information on his latest, you know, retour, if you would, of Everything is Spiritual. Here we go. Sometimes you have to reboot everything so that you can see things in a whole new way. Who we are, what we're doing here, and what it's all about. What we've been learning from science is that our universe is expanding. I find yeah, so's my waist. But um, what does this have to do with anything spiritual? Fascinating, because think about those moments when you were most at peace, when you most felt connected with things, when you were most filled with joy. Those were moments. Yeah, those moments had nothing to do with the fact that the universe is expanding. I don't see the connection. You know, when you were moving beyond yourself. It's as if there's a science of the soul. There's how the universe is. And a science of the soul just because the universe is expanding? How do you jump that chasm? I mean, seriously, in logic, I don't even think evil can evil can can literally cross that. You know, it doesn't matter if he's in a rocket car or his motorcycle. I don't think evil can evil can make it across that logical chasm. So what? The wor- the universe is expanding, so it's like there's a you know, a science of the soul. <laughs> what are you smoking, Rob Bell? Seriously, do you live in Denver? How your heart works. And what if you could make all sorts of connections between the two? It might just change the way you experience your whole life. Yeah, so because the universe is expanding and you think this causes somebody to think about the science of the soul, it's just going to, you know, change my whole life. And, you know, there was a time when people would you know, really thought that, you know, Rob Bell was no joke. You can find this if you Google it. Rob Bell was going to be the next Billy Graham. 
Yeah, he was the bee's knees. He was the darling of American evangelicalism. I mean, Willow Creek played an instrumental role in planting his church up in Grand Rapids, uh, you know, Mars Hill. And, um, mm -hmm, yeah, do you hear anything that even remotely sounds like biblical Christianity? I mean, are there evangelicals today sitting there going, oh, that Rob Bell, I mean, whew. I mean, seriously, that guy is so solid, so, ex you know, the guy's exegesis is spotless. I mean, the, I mean, I have such a greater appreciation for Christ and him crucified for my sins. And, you know, and the, oh, and the right, oh, man, I mean, that guy is just blowing my mind. No, nobody's talking this way. I mean, he, and, and the reality of the situation is, is that it was later revealed that Rob Bell, I mean, very early, in his really public ministry, you know, as a result of the fact that he was a rock star, helped you know, help launched by Willow Creek, that you know he had abandoned the historic understanding of Christianity, like almost from like the outset, and was imbibing in you know Buddhist thought, and uh, and the guy's a pantheist, and now he's on you know he goes on tours and you know he's on Oprah's you know uh, spiritual advisory board and you know is put forward by oprah as a guy we all need to be listening to does anyone think he's a christian i mean seriously that's what this tour is about so whether you consider yourself religious or not whether you saw the first everything is spiritual tour in 2006 or you've seen the film or not this tour is for you it's new ideas new perspectives new content and new ideas new perspectives yet christianity is the faith once for all delivered to the saints yeah when it comes to uh doctrine if it's new it ain't un it's it, it ain't true it's it's not true if it's new because we have the faith once delivered to the saints and we have the historic christian faith right there in the biblical text and we have an entire you know 2000 year history of uh, people interacting with those texts and you know we oh man what is he putting forward of course a new whiteboard oh yeah he has a new whiteboard oh yeah that'll revolutionize my life yeah yeah, so there you go. You can get tickets at robbell.com coming to a city near you. He's on tour right now. I mean, cuz you know, he's a spiritual rock star to go and give us a whole all new ideas, you know, cuz we all know that that's what Christianity is all about. New ideas, you know, cuz there's a the science of the soul, you know, cuz the universe is expanding, right? <sighs> yeah, it it's just absolutely maddening that anybody who calls himself a Christian would think that this guy has anything to offer them by way of sound biblical doctrine. Moving along. Time for a Joyce Meyer update. Accentuate to positive, eliminate the negative, and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between. You got to spread joy. Up to the maximum, bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. To illustrate my last remark, Jonah in the whale, Noah in the ark. What did they do just when everything looked so dark? Man, they said we better accent. You ate the positive, eat limb, mine ate the negative, and latch on 
to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. There we go. You got to accentuate the positive. That's Johnny Mercer and the Pied Pipers. And what we're going to be listening to now is from Joyce Meyer Ministry. And she's going to be talking about stay seated in God's supernatural rest. And my question is, do the verses that she's going to make the point that she's making? Yeah, that's kind of the uh, the issue. But uh, let's uh, tune in now to uh, Joyce Meyer as she explains to us the importance of staying seated. That's the important word, staying seated, seated. Yeah, you, you might want to be seated for this. Here we go. I'm going to do a series this weekend that we're going to call um, Sit, Stand, Walk, and Run. You say, well, boy, that's an odd title. Well, the Bible says we're to be seated in Christ. We're to stand strong in God and stand against the enemy. We're to walk with God, walk in love, walk as Christ walked, and we're to run our race. However, I think a lot of people don't realize that standing, walking, and running all have to be done only after, all all can be done only after you've learned how to sit. Because sit means to rest in God. It's amazing what a wonderful life that we can have when we can learn to do everything while we're resting in God. Now notice, this is where she's set up her teaching. The word sit means, according to her, dogmatically, limitingly, the word word sit means to rest in God. That's the only thing it could possibly mean is to, you know, rest in God. Keep that in your mind. We continue. While we're trusting him, while we're not trying to figure things out ourselves or make things happen ahead of God's timing. Amen. Does anybody know how frustrating that is? Trying to make things happen ahead of God's timing. You know, I always say, let's enjoy the journey while we're on the way to where we're going. Enjoy where you're at on the way to where you're going. And I have to say that I didn't do that for a lot of the years of my life. I wanted my ministry to grow so bad that I was just miserable all the time trying to make it grow, and I really didn't enjoy where I was at. Well, I've learned now how to enjoy it. Resting in God is one of the most important things that we can learn how to do because we're not going to enjoy anything, absolutely nothing, if we don't know how to enter God's rest. Okay, so this this is the important. You can't enjoy anything unless you learn how to enter into God's rest. Wouldn't that be faith in Christ? Wouldn't that be God's rest? Just saying. And if you're smart, you can tell when you get out, and it's very easy to get back in. Tonight we're going to talk about, are you out? Are you in? If you're out, get back in. If you're in, stay there. Because we need to be in the rest of God. Now, just a few scriptures first to lay a foundation here. First of all, Ephesians 1, 19 through 21. Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, okay. This was actually a message that God gave me probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it came about as a result of me beginning to notice that most of the places where Jesus is talked about in the Bible after his death and resurrection, it always depicts him as seated, yeah, that's right. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You know what he's sitting on? A throne. And makes a pretty good point out of that. 
And in Ephesians 1, 19, it says, so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe as demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Right, the right hand of the Father. You know, Again, Jesus is sitting on a throne. He's ruling and reigning. Um, so yeah, this, the idea that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father, that doesn't mean that he's entered into rest, you know, and you know, that notice she said dogmatically, the word sit means to be in God's rest. So there's Jesus. Look at he's seated. Oh, that must mean he's learned how to rest the way I need to learn how to rest. Oh boy. He seated him. Now, you know, we can. This is one of the ways where we can read the Bible for years and years and years and never even notice some little thing like that, that he, he was seated. Let, let's look at Hebrews 1, 3. Now, this is a little bit long in the Amplified Bible, but it's good, so we'll just read it. He is the sole expression, he being Christ, of the glory of God, the light being the outrang or the radiance of the divine, and he is the perfect imprint and the very image of God's nature, Upholding and maintaining, guiding, propelling the universe by his mighty word of power. Well, that would preach right there, but we're not after that part, so we'll go on. When he had... Now, notice, the, the part she's after is the word seated, because this is all about, you know, learning how to rest. Now, this is what we want to see. When he had, by offering himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and the riddance of our guilt, he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on God. Everybody say he sat down. And then in verse 13. Yeah, again, he's seated on a throne. Read the book of Revelation. It says, besides to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand, associate with me in my royal dignity till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So, Am I understanding this right, that Jesus did everything that he was supposed to do, then he went and he just sat down, and he's now waiting for God to do what only God can do? Uh, Jesus is God in human flesh. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son. So (laughs) Joyce Meyer just kind of envisions Jesus, you know, he's up in heaven just sitting there, yeah, yeah, doing nothing, you know, Resting, you know, two thousand year long, you know, Sabbath, if you would, for Jesus. I mean, just twiddling his thumbs, you know, just sitting around, going, "Yeah, the view is pretty," and yeah, okay, yeah, wow. Oh boy, this is a train wreck, which has put Satan in his final place of defeat. So, what we need to learn is to do. The Bible says, "Do all the crisis demands, and then stand firmly in your place." It's not that we don't do anything. But everything we do must be done from a place of rest. Now, I'm sitting... Uh, everything we do must be done from a place of rest. And you get this by virtue of the fact that Christ is seated at the right hand of the divine majesty. Uh-huh. Or physically. But the rest that we're talking about, if you study it in the original language, it's, it's not a rest from work. It's a rest in work. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. 
It's resting while we're doing everything that we're doing. You- yeah, where are you getting that from? Because the word, the Greek word for seated doesn't mean that. And parent your children while spiritually seated. You can pastor a church while spiritually seated. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything, but it means that you're not taking the burden of it. You're not taking the care of it. You're doing what you can do, what God has given you the grace to do, and you're doing it constantly with his help. But the part you can't do, you don't get upset about. You leave that in God's hands and in God's timing. And you get all of this by virtue of the fact that Ephesians 1 and Hebrews 1 talk about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the divine majesty. By the way, the Greek word for seated there is kathizo. Uh-huh. It means to cause to sit down mm-hmm. or to put in charge to appoint or install or authorize. Yeah, that's because it's also used in terms of, you know, kings seating on their throne. Yeah, to take a seated position or to sit down is another thing to do. So, uh, yeah, uh, we've got a major problem here because she's finding all of this data in the word kathizo that isn't there yet she re- oh it's in the original languages this is so clear to rest means to to do what you can it's not rest from work it's rest in work to do your part and then not sweat the part that you can't control because you know god's going to be in charge because you know jesus it says in ephesians 1 you know he's you know seated at the right hand of the father and you know hebrews 1 3 you know that he's seated at the right hand of the divine majesty so you know and you know the original languages you know, make it so clear this is a uh, a rest kind of seated. No, it doesn't. What you're saying doesn't make any sense. She's twisting God's word and teaching something that is not in Scripture. Literally, I mean, she's making this up. I don't know about you, but I want to enjoy my life. Is anybody here want to enjoy life? Uh, is that a uh, is that something we as Christians should aspire to? Jesus said, "Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him." You know. Well, do you know sometimes, now be honest, sometimes in the pursuit of our dreams, we get so driven about getting what we think we want that we don't really enjoy the life that we have now. Pursuing your dreams, maybe that's the problem. Amen. Let me just say it again. Sometimes in pursuit of our dreams... We get so driven to get this thing we want that we don't enjoy what we have right now. Uh huh. Okay. Are you talking about contentment then? And I made that mistake. And so part of my whole ministry is to take the mistakes that I've had and the victories I've had and try to help people not to make so many turns around the mountain but to maybe get there a little bit easier and enjoy your life a lot more. You see, I believe, and I can... Yet notice here, what was the point of her reading the text about Jesus sitting on the throne? Oh, it's all because she claims it's all about resting and, you know, enjoying yourself along the way. These texts aren't saying any of that. What is this? This scripturally, I think that it is tragic for Jesus to have done what he did, suffer like he did, paid the price for our sins, 
wants us to enjoy our life. John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy Jesus. I yeah, John 10, 10, I came that may, they might have life and life abundantly. Totally out of context, and that's not what this text is saying. That Jesus says, I just want you to enjoy your life. That's not what John 10, 10 means. Read it in context. Start at John 9, verse 1, and keep reading past verse 10, and you'll get the idea of what he's talking about. It ain't what she's saying. You might have and enjoy your life. Good news. God wants you to enjoy your life. And that- no, good news is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Read 1 Corinthians 15. It doesn't mean you live on vacation, but it does mean that you can live with your soul on vacation. It does mean that your inner man can always be having a vacation. No matter- what does it mean for my inner man to always have a vacation? Yeah, well, you know, my physical body right now, you know, I'm, I'm working. And, uh, you know, I, in fact, the other day I was out doing some yard work with my physical body. But, you know, while I was doing that, my spirit man, he was at Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, man, Space Mountain. It's just so awesome. What you happen to be doing on the outside. Come on, somebody give God praise. Why would I praise God for this nonsense? God's word doesn't teach this. You know, if you're anything like me, I mean, I started going to church and I, I came in in the big word and faith movement. And man, we were, I mean, you think you go to me. Word of faith movement, heresy. Now, I mean, honey, we lived in meetings. I mean, it was, and it wasn't just like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was a week, two weeks. I mean, three services a day. And, you know, there was just a great outpouring of the word of God. And we were just word, 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 word. So we were constantly learning things. And then we would run and try to do those things that we learned. But say, for example, I would hear uh, about the dangers of the mouth. Well, you know, of course, I had a big mouth. Word of faith, heresy stuff here. You know, you, you, negative confession. Uh, you, your words create the future. And uh, so my mouth was always getting me in trouble. And people were always saying to me, well, you didn't need to say that. Well, why did you say that? And so then I would hear a message about the mouth, and I would decide I was going to go home and change. And then I'd go home, and I wouldn't say anything, and that didn't change anything. You know why it didn't change anything? Because nothing had changed inside. I still thought all the nasty thoughts. I just wasn't letting them come out of my mouth now. And so in effect, here's what I was trying to do. I was trying to walk with God, but I, and I, I loved God, and I, I, my reasoning was right. I wanted to please God. But I had everything out of order. I was trying to walk in love, walk in the word. What does any of this have to do with the two passages, Ephesians 1 and Hebrews 1, Jesus seated at the right hand of the majesty, the divine majesty? Answer, nothing. What was the point of her reading those texts then? Answer, here's the answer. The point of her reading those texts was to create the false impression that what followed afterwards is what those passages mean. It's to, it was to basically create the impression that what she's teaching is biblical. Nothing she's taught is biblical. Nothing. I mean, she read the biblical text, and then she's telling us what they mean. And th- th- this has nothing to do with those two passages. So those were used just to create the impression that she's giving a biblical teaching and that it, this has the authority of God behind it. But she's not saying anything that God's word really says. Walk as God walked, walk to please God, be careful how I walk, but I didn't know beans about sitting. Yeah, you know, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, so, you know, we got to learn how to sit too, you know. Amen. 
And so tonight we're going to learn how to sit. Tomorrow morning we're going to learn how to stand. Tomorrow night we're going to learn how to walk. And probably some of that will get into Saturday, but if not, I've got a good backup plan. Amen. All right, Mike's going to come and help me, and I want to show you something. Yeah, we're done with uh, Joyce Meyer. Wow. That was, uh, the only word I can think of is blasphemous. And the reason why it's blasphemous is because she literally just used God's word to create the impression that what she was teaching was biblical, when in reality, nothing that she's been teaching in that lesson is actually what God's word says. So, I mean, that's just basically using, you know, God's word, you know, to create the the false impression, the pretense that, oh, that the teaching is what God's word means. And because Jesus is sitting on the throne, that means we need to not, not only learn how to walk, we, we also need to learn how to sit. It's just nonsense, utter nonsense. And she's one of the darlings, I mean, of American evangelicalism. And yet she's feeding them just straight up spiritual poison. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Another sermon by a woman. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc., but simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks 
born from the dangerous elements of the Internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engaged stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. New church to add to our uh, two terabyte hard drive of evil preaching. Right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith word equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via the movement that's the name of the church in uh, hermitage uh, pennsylvania the person preaching her name is vanessa hall the name of the sermon is love renovation part one the text see she is supposedly preaching from is genesis chapter six verses five through six yeah and you're going, that's something to do with Noah, right? Well, you'll see. It's um, Let's just say that she's kind of doing with the, her biblical text what Joyce Meyer sort of kind of did with her biblical text and kind of sort of what Harry Stone did with his. Yeah, so uh, let me go ahead and uh, back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Vanessa Hall and her sermon entitled Love Renovation. Here we go. So my name is Vanessa. Thank you guys so much for being here. You picked an awesome week. I know I say that every single time, but you did. You picked a great weekend to come. Uh, We're talking about a love renovation. Um, And this is going to be just a small series, but it's going to be a powerful series because as we, how many of you are part of Love Week last year? Raise your hands if you served in it or if you were served in it. I don't know. So last year, we started this thing called Love Week, and we spent an entire five days uh, blessing the city of Warren to the best of our ability. We had, oh my gosh, 200 plus volunteers going out into the city of Warren and just doing whatever they could to just um, to serve the people of Warren. Um, so we did, oh my goodness, we did. We gave them food. We gave the kids a good time, gave them a party, gave them a movie. We, we uh, did lots of giveaways. We, so we did everything that we could just to bless Warren. Well, in the process of doing that and because of that, our Warren campus, campus almost doubled in size. We saw that there truly was a need in Warren for people's lives to be changed by the love of Jesus and just by the love of people. My goodness, how lonely life would be without 
God's love and for people to give and to sacrifice and to love one another the way that God would intend us to. And so what we're doing is it's coming up soon at the end of July. We're about a month and a couple days away and we're getting ready for that. If you haven't even considered serving in it, even if this is your first time, if it's your first time here, by golly, thank you so much for being here. Now serve because even if it's one hour of your time, being able to think outside of ourselves and focus on the needs of others will change your life. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't. Thinking about other people and doing for other people is a life-changing, amazing experience. So if you haven't thought of it or if you want to serve, be a part of that. We want you, we need you, and we'll give you the t-shirt. Okay? Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. So what I want to talk about today, obviously, is a love renovation. I want to tell you. Now I need to explain. Warren is in Warren, Ohio. This is a multi-site, seeker-driven church. So, you know, serving the people of Warren is referring to the people near their Warren multi-site campus. Story about a man in the year 1532. Uh, this man had written a book, and it was a book that really changed his life. It was a book full of his thoughts and his theories, and uh, and just. Um, he was using his gift to write this book. And so he put his heart, his soul, his blood, sweat, and tears into this book. And when he finally finished it and he was about to publish it, fear totally gripped him because he wasn't sure what people were going to think of the things that he was writing. He was afraid of what people were going to criticize. He was afraid of what people were going to doubt. He was afraid of everything, all of those unknowns. Are people even going to accept this, or is it just going to be taken as trash? Why do I feel like this is another one of those we-need-to-change-the-world kind of sermons? So it took him two whole years to even publish this book. And so after those two years in 1534, he sends the book out into the public and it was called, oh, and I forget it every time because it's words that I can barely even pronounce, (laughs) Resolution of the Celestial Spheres. And even though that might not mean anything to you. Copernicus. Mm Mm-hmm was written by Nicholas Copernicus. Yeah, and I think the reason why he published it so late in his life wasn't because he was afraid of the critics. He was afraid of being killed for heresy because at that time, you know, you you know, the earth was supposedly theologically the center of the universe, which by the way the Bible does not teach. Um and so uh, Copernicus um yeah, he, he, publishing it when he did had to do with saving his own skin. Was the theory that the sun was the center of the universe and not the earth. Totally changed history, right? Nobody had even thought of that. And so even now, how many 500 plus years later, we are living by that rule that the sun is the center of the universe. If he had not written that book, how long would it have taken us for us to finally figure that out? And so it's interesting because he finally finished and published that book just days before his death. And so we know when God calls us to do something, man, we better do it because we might not know. So when God calls, we better do it. You know, Copernicus is the perfect example of a guy who had a divine destiny that he needed to fulfill. And thankfully, he got it done before he died. I'm going to freak out. Now, keep in mind, the text that she's going to get to is Genesis 6, verses 5 through 6. You might want to read it um, because, you know, all I'm saying is when you read it, you're going to go, huh? What does this have to do with her thesis uh, opening statements for her so-called sermon? Powerful, the things God puts in us are until either it's too late or until we finally take that step and do it. And then we see the blessing that comes out of that. And so we we see all of this, this, uh, this whole center of the universe thing. And if we're not careful... 
I think sometimes we think we can be the center of the universe. I think a lot of times we get stuck in life, in our situations and our problems and, and our circumstances and, and our family and, our, and how we look and the things that we have that we think really that we are the center of the universe. We are the reason God was even in existence was to create us and because we are just awesome. Let me tell you, I'll just tell you about myself. I'm not that awesome. Jesus, if there was, I understand, if you were the only person living on this earth, Jesus would have still died for you. He would have sacrificed his life for you. But our lives are not our own. We are not the center of the universe. I think we've gotten to a place in our culture where um, where it's socially acceptable to, to, to be self, self-absorbed. I don't know how else to put it. It's socially acceptable for us to always try to rise to the top. It's socially acceptable for us to step over other people in order to get to the position that we want. It's socially acceptable. And and in the process of doing that, our love is dying, our compassion is dwindling, and we're accepting this culture of me, me, me all the time. And it might not be to the degree that some others might be, we, but, but it's very easy for us to wake up in the morning and to our first prayer in the morning is God bless me today or God take care of this today or God, I need this today. Instead of saying, God, thank you so much for even having me wake up in the morning. God, how can I live today that will glorify you? God, how can I today be a blessing to others? And so it's really easy for the, for even. So pack your bags. We're on a guilt trip, by the way. Um, we're just being gnawed to death by the law at this point. And she's not even preaching the law well. Uh, you know, here she's making us feel guilty and basically we need to course correct, you know, and it's really easy for us to think we're the center of the universe. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's names for sins like these. And if you're going to preach God's law, you need to preach God's law to show us that we are sinners, to show us that these are sins and to show us that we need to repent and to be forgiven. That's right. The solution to our sin is a crucified and risen Savior, not you doubling up and really striving hard to, you know, tr- really do it and mean it this time. That's not the solution to our sin problem. Repentance and the forgiveness of our sins and then bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance is the solution. And I don't know what she's doing here, but man, I, ugh, hard to listen to. But we wake up to think, okay, this is my life. This is how I need to fix it. This is how I need to take care of it. This is what I need to get. And God, you're going to help me get there. And so it's almost like we use God as like this launching pad for reaching, you know, all the things that we want to reach. When in reality, it's the complete opposite. We live for others. Our lives are not our own. This is the reason we are put here on earth is not so that we can rise to the top, but so that we can help others rise to the top. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. This Which, by the way, sounds very pious. So let me, let me just deconstruct that. So the reason I'm here is not so that I can rise to the top, but it's so that I can help others rise to the top. Then, okay, if that's how, how do you know that me as a Christian, it's not my job to rise to the top? Am I to help unbelievers rise to the top? Because somebody's going to end up to the top, and it's my job to make that happen. But it's not supposed to happen for me. This doesn't make any sense, and the reason why is because she just threw something out there that sounds so pious and so selfless, and that's not what Christian sanctification is. I don't know what this is. Renovation, this heart change that we so desperately need, and how can we get there to do that? So uh, what I want you, if you have your— Big note here. She's basically saying it's your job to renovate your heart. 
when Scripture says that God replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, it's jo- God's job to renovate our heart. She thinks we can do it all on our own, you know, by trying hard and, you know, applying the law. Card with you. I want you to write this down. If you don't write anything else down, I want you to write this down and I want you to think about it. It's going to be up on your screen. We are not designed to be the final destination of God's goodness. We are to be the pipelines that carry his goodness to the world. That's a paradigm shift in itself. We, yeah, where are you getting it from? Which biblical text is that in? Not the final destination for God's blessings. Yes, God loves to bless you. I think of my three-year-old, my little tiny baby. He doesn't care about anything. He's just happy to be alive. But, but now my three-year-old is getting to the place where it's like, I want things. I want that. I want that, I want that, and I want that. And so sometimes you have to be a good parent and say, no, you can't have that. But if you let, if you'd have a little kid, or even if you have a big kid, um, and you surprise them with something, isn't it the best thing in the world to see them light up? Oh my gosh, I would give you a million dollars, Alistair, if you just give me that smile all the time instead of, you stop! Like, that's kind of his mentality towards me in everything I do. Like, mama, stop, mama, don't. But when I see that smile on his face, I'm like, I would, I would, I, I love that. I would live off of that. And that's how God feels about you. When he is able to bless you, when he is able to give you things, when he is able to surprise you with the goodness that he has for you, he loves to see you light up. But that's not the only reason he blesses us. It's not like when we, it's not like when he. Yeah. Where in scripture does it say that God loves to see us light up? I'd like to see that passage, please. Is us. We're just supposed to like wade in the blessing, like on a little pool floaty, like in the, in the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's sometimes good to bask in his goodness. Yes. But there's always a purpose behind his blessings. There's always a purpose behind why he chooses to bless us with certain things. So I want to talk about two people in the Bible that we are also very, very, very familiar with. I'm going to drink my, my lemonade. Am I selling it? Am I, this is good. Okay. It'll be up on your screen, but I want to talk about, so listen, how many of you, and I've even blessed you from this stage saying, I bless you with the blessings that are pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. So you guys ever pray that over you? It's biblical. It's good to pray the Bible, right? Okay. So (laughs) what are you talking about? Oh my. Here's the thing about pressed down, shaken together, pouring over is that the pouring over is not for us. Right? You guys get it? The pouring over is not for us to in- really, uh, to once again, to lay in your pool floaty and let it pour over you. No, the, the press down shaking together is for others. And we'll get back to that. Adam and Eve. So in Genesis 1, God created, so God created Adam and Eve. And he created them to enjoy every single thing that the entire world had to offer them. So he created the sun and the moon, the heavens and the earth, the skies, the seas, the the water. The I thought he created them so that they could care for his creation, not enjoy it. Although enjoying it's part of that. But see, the thing is, is that yeah, Adam was the gardener. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, you're not exactly giving us... Adam and Eve's vocations correctly here. Animals, the fish, the plants, everything was created for them. 
because he loved them. He said, this is, I'm going to give you all of this. All of this is yours. All of this is yours. But read what he said. He said, God bless them. This is Genesis 1. God bless them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I'm just going to stay on that. I'm not going to go to the next slide. I just want to stick with this. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. What is he saying? I have given you all of this. All of this is yours, but it's not just for you to lay in it and enjoy it. It's for you to tame it, to subdue it, to increase it, to multiply it, to spread it. So he gave them all of these things with a rule behind it saying, you can enjoy it. It is all yours completely 100%, but you need to take care of it. You need to increase it. You need to multiply it. You need to do something with it. (laughs) Oh, man. And and so this then becomes the principle that, you know, you got to do something with your life. Yeah. Oh, man. Rather than go to clear passages that talk about vocation and good works, she's uh, flailing around. Here we go. So when God chooses to bless us, he does the same exact thing. This is for you. It's for you to enjoy. It's for... Again, drawing the parallel between Adam and Eve and then saying, and then when God chooses to bless us, it's the same thing. Yeah, no, it isn't. You need to actually show that from a clear passage. You you don't know how to handle God's word. there, And you kind of even dubiously summarized it and, and then read a couple of verses. You didn't even really exegete it. Not that you should be doing that anyway, but... Oh, man, I cannot believe that this is a huge church. I created you so that I can enjoy you. God enjoys you. I hope that you know that. He enjoys you. He is proud of you. He loves you. You are the reason God exists. But we also have a job while we're here on earth, right? Wait, wait, wait. I'm the reason God exists. <sighs> no, that would make me God. No, God is the reason we exist. Man, she's got this all backwards. Whoa. Those blessings in our life, it is because he has a purpose. And we are, are the pipelines. Like I said, we are the pipelines to be able to um, maximize what he's done in our lives. Do you understand? Yeah, no, I don't because you didn't show this from any biblical text. This just came out of your little brain. Oh, to give you a little bit more of an, I used to be a children's pastor. I love object lessons. And so when I was, I, Nathan, I don't know if you knew this, but when we were talking about, uh, how do we create a pipeline? Actually, we were thinking like, I was thinking like, put a big pipe up there and have things roll out to you. And I'm like, that doesn't work. I used to be in baseball. I lived, breathed, and, and, and I just, oh man, I love baseball. And so I was little and, uh, I wasn't very good at it, but, <laughs> but I loved it. They had me in the outfield. I'm playing in the back, like picking flat. Mom, look it. And so that was my whole life as a baseball player. I loved it. Um, so I, we were thinking about this and, and this is, so this is our little pipeline of God's goodness. My dad used to take me and my brother, who was incredible at baseball. He was a star. Uh, he could have gone to any college that he wanted to play in baseball, um, but he wanted to be a math teacher, and that didn't work out. So um, <laughs> maybe just that he's not here, but he will be next service, and I'll say the same thing. Okay, so, so, uh, but we used to go to the batting cages, and man, I loved the batting cages. I loved those slow pitch, like, you go as slow as you can. Dad, I'm ready. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Whew, totally missed it. Like, I'm going to get it, Dad, this time, and every time I hit the ball, it was like home run for me. That's a totally different story. It's not going anywhere. Okay. So, 
imagine this as God's pipeline in you. And so imagine way up there, there's God. And he says, you know what? I So have- theology via imagination. Yeah, this is no way to actually learn biblical doctrine for you. I have something I'm going to give to you that I'm not going to give to everybody. And whatever that is, God, you look inside yourself right now and say, yep, there is something inside of me that God really has blessed me with. There is something inside of me that, that, um, that really should be used to, to give glory to God. And so when God chooses, Zach, you better run. I'm telling you what. Okay. So God chooses to give us something for one. It might be finances. Woo! Catch it. <laughs> she didn't catch it. You got to watch yourself. Okay. <laughs> Be a better baseball player than me. So here's God's blessings. They're pouring out here. They go. And you need to use them. It might be. F- yeah. If you're wondering what that was, she threw a baseball into the audience because she was using it as an object lesson. Actually, I think she has a pitching machine that lobbed it in. It might be hospitality. It might be compassion. It might be encouragement, but God pours out his blessings. Oh, James, you better watch yourself. Okay. So God pours out his blessings on us and we are to be the pipeline, right? He pours it out. Thank goodness. He loves us. Now, if you have finances, I'm telling you, I don't have a million dollars to give away. Yeah. You're again, you're just giving us the theology you made up in your brain. This is, can you show me the biblical texts that teach any of this? I wouldn't be surprised if there's some person in here who is completely and utterly blessed financially and you know who you are. And I will tell every single person in here to save your money and to have a bank account that says, I'm going to have a healthy and good retirement. I can bless my kids and my grandkids. Yes. But that money's not just for you. That money is for the single mom who comes in contact with you. Who's just crying with two babies in her arms. And I have no idea what to do. That's what your blessing is there for right? If you have the gift of encouragement, you know that there are people coming in those doors every single day who absolutely need encouraged because their life is falling apart. Not everybody has the gift of encouragement, right? But some people can sense in other people if they're hurting, if they have a need, and you are the one that if you don't do it, maybe nobody else is going to be encouraged that day. If you don't do it, maybe... Maybe you're the only person who can give that five bucks to somebody and say, please go get something to eat. You might. Yeah, I need to encourage her. You know, um, Vanessa, I'm encouraging you to never preach a sermon again. It's contrary to God's word. It forbids you. God's word forbids you from doing this. And you clearly have no skill in teaching the Bible, period. Uh, You know, but the first one uh, just a priori excludes you from being able to do what you're actually doing right now might have the, the, uh, the gift, which it is a gift of healing. My goodness. For some reason, when you pay, pray for people, things happen. And if you keep that to yourself, think of all of the lives that might not be changed because you are keeping that gift that's inside of you. You might have that gift to pray for people and to show compassion to people. That gift of hospitality. I know there's people in here with more rooms in your house than you know what to do with. And I can tell you, there are people who walk in this building every single month who say, I am losing my house. I'm losing everything. How can you help me? And we're like, I don't, I don't know how to help. We can, we'll do whatever we can to help you, to get you that immediate need that, uh, help that you need. But there's people in here with a gift 
And it's not just for us to enjoy. It's for us to be that pipeline of his goodness, to get his goodness to other people who might not be able to get that goodness for themselves. It's what an intercessor does. An intercessor stands in the gap because there's people who cannot, for some reason or another, make a connection with God. We are the gap. We are the bridge from people to Jesus. And if you think of your life as that being that responsible for other people's lives, man, change can happen. Change can happen. The problem. Yeah, change can happen, but are they being made disciples of Jesus? The, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples of all nations, not to, you know, go make a change or you make change happen or change the world or, you know, make a difference or anything like that. With being that pipeline, though, is that sometimes we get stuck kind of looking inward and not outward. If we're not careful, we tend to hoard the blessings that God has for us. Or to even uh, think, well, I'm not blessed at all. Look at all the things that are wrong with my life. And it's, if we're not careful, uh huh, easy to get in those situations. My goodness, it's so good to look at. The enemy is always going to attack. The enemy is always going to want to annoy. He's like that bug that is like you're trying to sleep and it's in your ear and you can't sleep. It's that annoying, constant little tap, tap, tap of of everything that could go wrong in your life. And if we focus on that, then we start to look inward at all of our problems and we start to not look outward at how good our life is in comparison. It can always get worse, my friends. It can always be worse. And so if our eyes are on ourselves, then our, then our pipeline gets plugged up. Our pipeline gets plugged up. It gets plugged up by selfishness. It gets plugged up by problems. It gets plugged up by life circumstances. And we, God is not able to get the blessings to other people the way that he originally wanted to. Poor God. I mean, he's just incapable of getting blessings to people now because, you know, the pipeline's plugged it because of your selfishness. Yeah, what kind of God is this? Is this a supernatural, you know, sovereign, omnipotent being that we're describing here? Yeah, there's the Holy Spirit up in heaven going, yeah, you know, I I, I got all these blessings that I, I, I want to pass out, and but I can't. I'm I'm stuck. Yeah, um... You know, because, you know, I exist because of you. And um, and so, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, you're being selfish and you're not being and, and it's it's just totally blocking, you know, the, the pipeline of blessing. And, and I don't have any ability to get in there, by that pipe and, you know, clean things out. And so all these blessings are sitting up here in heaven. They're just and they have no way of getting to anybody because of you. And, you know. Would would you please, you know, consider like not being so selfish so that some of my blessings can get distributed to people, please? What is this? You know, a lot of times we say, well, we want a miracle. I want a miracle for that person. But a lot of times we are that miracle for people. And if our, if our pipeline is pl- plugged up, clogged up, then that miracle is not going to get to them. So we are responsible to constantly first be thankful to God for every single thing that's in our life. And two, to be open, available, and willing to be the pipeline to others. So go to Genesis 6. So here's the problem. God created the heavens and the earth. He gave Adam and Eve. Yeah, now let's take a look at Genesis 6 real quick before she does. Uh, Because by looking at Genesis 6, uh, first, we can familiarize ourselves with the text in context. And we can see what's really going on here. And by knowing what's really going on here... Uh, we can determine whether or not she's rightly teaching this text or if she's doing something bizarre with it. And, and 
If you're thinking she's just, well, I mean, this sounds orthodox to me. I mean, how could she possibly twist this text? <laughs> if that's your thinking, you're going to be very disappointed in Vanessa. But to Genesis chapter 6, we'll start at verse 1. Here's what it says. When man began to multiply in the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. So God at this point basically says, That's it. I'm going to wipe man out 120 years from now. It's all over. That's what he's saying. Okay, And you need to listen to Roseboro's ramblings through Genesis on this chapter if you want more in-depth you know, teaching on this. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old and men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made the man on the earth, so it grieved him to his heart. So what's God's solution? The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, so this text is the setup for God's judgment of the earth in the destruction of every human being on the planet, with the exception of Noah and his family, despite the fact that Peter makes it clear that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He actually preached during the 120 years that God had basically determined was going to be, you know, for humanity to repent, and they didn't, and God judged. I mean, that's what it boils down to. So this is the prelude to the global disaster of the flood, how many millions and millions of human beings and animals were wiped out as a result of God's wrath caused by our sin. That's the setup for this text. Let's see what Vanessa is going to do with it. Eve, dominion over everything. Yes, they made a mistake, but still, they had dominion. And even just four, five chapters later, just a couple generations later. Did she say that Adam and Eve made a mistake? You know, they sinned sinned and brought a curse upon the whole the whole race it was so fed up with people that this is what he said the lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil so the lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth it broke his heart when- uh, you're reading from the message paraphrase because the hebrew doesn't say it broke god's heart forget the reason we are here When we forget the reason that God put us here on this earth, it breaks his heart. That's what the Bible says. It's not me being over. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. If you're not living out your purpose and finding your destiny and going and helping people and being a pipeline for blessing, oh, it breaks God's heart. Oh, man. I'm in pain. This is just reprehensible. Why are the people in that church sitting there and taking this rather than standing up and walking out? Overly dramatic. There is a way for us to grieve God. And so I would never want to be the person who's been given so, so, so much and blessed so much. And for me not to use it and to get spiritually fat and to get fat with all of Yeah, the question is, how did Noah found favor? In, how did he find favor in the eyes of God? How did he do it? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith, 
Yeah. So how do we overcome our sin problem? The answer, we can't. But by grace through faith, which God gives us as a gift, by the way, that's how we're made pleasing in God's eyes. Gifts and all of my blessings so that whenever we're, God does give us those pressed down, shaken together, rolling over. But when it pours over, it hits the ground and it goes to waste. May I never, ever, ever be the person who grieves God. May I never be the person who makes him sad. May I never be the person who breaks his heart. Do you think that your sin of preaching this sermon uh, would grieve God's heart? God's word strictly forbids you from doing what you're doing here, Vanessa. Because I'm so stuck on what's happening in my own life that I can't focus that there is a need for me, for me. There is a need for you, 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 you to go out into the world and to be a witness, to be a light. John says this. This is it. I just love this. John says this in, in uh, chapter 1, 6 through 8. It says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. God himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. We are not the light. We are not the center of the universe. We carry the light. We are the only, we, the, our only job in all of the world is to be a witness, to point everybody to Jesus. And if we cannot do law, 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 Law. I mean, I'm serious. This is just, again, we're on a guilt trip at this point. It grieves God. It is our job to be generous, to be on a journey of generosity. And it doesn't mean money. It means kindness. It means loving on people. It means doing what you can to help people. If you have an extra room in your house, let somebody live there. My goodness. If you have extra food in your fridge, invite somebody over for dinner and love on them. If you have an extra five bucks in your pocket, pay for the person behind you, wherever you are. It doesn't mean that you're going to look behind and see them go, hey, thanks. Because that's not the, that's not what we're looking for. We are looking for heavenly treasures, not the treasures here on earth. We are looking for heavenly treasures. And the way that we get those heavenly treasures is when we focus our eyes first on Jesus and then on others so that we can, can lead people and point them in the direction of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Yeah, you're not pointing us to Jesus. You haven't told me anything that what Jesus has done. You've just literally nagged me to death. If Jesus never did anything but die for us, if he never blessed us ever again, one more time in our life, it would be enough. And yet, and yet he chooses every single day to feed us, to clothe us, to give us excess to give us extra, to make us happy, to give us a family that brings us joy. If he never did any of that, him dying on the cross would be... Cue sappy music. I meant ominous, bad, sappy music here. But he chooses to go above and beyond. Why? Because there is a hurting and a lost world who desperately needs us. Yeah, no, they need to hear the message of Jesus and be brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You don't know how to rightly handle God's word. You do not understand the proper distinction of law and gospel. And you clearly are in rebellion to the clear passages of Scripture that say that a woman is not to teach in the church. God, in the blink of an eye, could save everybody, right? He could. God, in the blink of an eye, could say, yes, every single person is going to worship me. 
Every single person is going to turn to me. He could do that, but he chooses not to. Why? Because we have a choice. In everything, we have a choice. And we have a choice today to not... Yeah, this is the false doctrine of free will, which means she's Pelagian to boot. ...the light, but to carry the light. And the best way that we can do that is if we experience a true love renovation to allow God inside of our hearts to clean out all of that ugly that is, oh my goodness, inside of me. To clean us out, to clean us from the inside out so that we can truly be a reflection. And the sad part is, is that what she's saying will go nowhere towards cleaning out the ugly inside of her or me or anyone else. Because she's not preaching Christ crucified for our sins and rightly handling God's law and preaching the gospel as the solution. Uh, th- you know, no, not at all. This has no power to clean out anybody, Vanessa. Jesus. You know, I don't know what happened in the disciples' lives. Something happened when they had an encounter, a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. That when he ascended into heaven and he said, you go and make disciples, man, they went and made disciples. Everywhere they went, four, five, six, 10,000 people would come to a knowing and saving knowledge of Jesus. There was something that happened inside of them. And what I'm here to tell you is that you don't need a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Because it's not going to happen until you get to heaven, unless he does some miracle. All it takes is an encounter with Jesus. His love for you, his healing, his saving grace. That encounter that you have with him is enough. Yeah, what is this this virtuous, amazing supernatural encounter thing that she's talking about? She's not describing penitent faith in Christ. Enough that you can make a difference in your world, your families, your friends. Uh, so uh, uh, this uh, spiritual encounter will help you make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Your jobs, every single place that you go, you can be a light. And even if you don't believe in Jesus, be a light. My goodness, this world needs some good in it. Yeah, would you just get your behind in gear and and go and be a light? Darn it. like i said i feel like i'm being nagged here there is so much ugly in the world can we please be the kind of people that bring some joy to people's lives can i pray for you no you cannot (sighs) well there you go um you know no proper distinction of law gospel. Uh, was Christ preached in a saving office? No. Uh, Do we get uh, the, the law? Oh, yeah, we got a lot of the law. Heavy-handed manipulative law to boot. And uh, in complete with sappy music. And you need to make a decision to make a difference in the world. And because, you know, God, you know, he wants to bless people. And, you know, he can't because, you know, the pipeline's blocked because of your selfishness. Oh, man. And, of course, the theology she's preaching, yeah, this is the seeker-driven, purpose-driven, go-make-a-difference-in-the-world theology that's completely divorced from, really, what the Bible does tell us to do as Christians, as made manifest by the fact that she's in rebellion to God's word regarding the fact that women should not be teaching. Anyway, uh, you kind of get the point. Uh, What did you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. 
Facebook.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.